back. Pulls up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. A warm welcome for me, Mark Woods, to the latest edition of the MVP Cast, brought to you in association with Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services for lots of environmental issues at tcompliance.co.uk. Of course, we are now available across almost every podcast platform you can think of. YouTube, Amazon Music, if you want us, you'll find us anywhere if you like us as well. Please hit the subscribe button and then you will not miss a single episode. Now, our guest this time is a Great Britain and England international whose interests, well, also lie well beyond the court. He's an ex-rock, an ex-wolf. He's a pride brummy. And now he's a pride blonde as well. Kofi Josephs, welcome to the MVP cast. (laughs) Hey, man. How you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm very well, thank you. So... uh, there has been much talk on the media of social about your your blondness, this bombshell look, but this is all part of a. I mean, you've you've delved into this for for a while, but this is a concerted push into the world of modelling. Tell us about it. Uh, yeah, to be honest, um, I quite liked having my long hair. Obviously, I've had it. I've been growing my hair probably for like the last six years, so. Like when you grow over time and you've been in so many different places and countries and stuff and you've had your hair, it's a part of you. But once I signed with my um, my agency, they were like, yeah, you know, we think it'd be a great look for you to just be new, clean and short and blonde. And I was shocked at first because I was walking around with like a candy floss uh, high top and then to go short and blonde when I haven't seen myself with short hair in like six years was was definitely... A shock. I didn't want to do it either. But I caught it on my birthday because I was like, I'm just going to go for it. Let's just do it. Start it off afresh. And uh, it's worked out pretty well so far. Where, is the, where did the modeling come from? Yeah, so, so you've been always been a fine looking young lad. But, you know, where's where's the kind of idea of, of working? Because you're working in some you know, pretty high profile clients right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I just like taking photos. That's really what it comes down to i like taking photos i love fashion um i'm always into clothing i'm always into design and i love the process of stuff so outside of the actual modeling i love the creative side i love the mood boards i love picking out clothes i like the makeup side i like the photography side i love all of it so it just turned out that i fit the the model brief as well you know, to be photographed. So it kind of all works works together. Does it feel, in a sense, like a similar kind of performance to playing a game when you're performing for a camera or doing a catwalk or a shoot of some kind? Is, it, is there similarities in the kind of mental application required? Um, I'd say competing is definitely a lot harder because of... I've got kind of like a split personality. So when I step on the basketball court, I'm completely different to how I am off the court. So off the court, I'm really chilled. Um, just, yeah, really super laid back. But on the court, I'm really determined and competitive. But in the modeling world, I feel like so far for me, it's not really that competitive. It's more so me against me rather than competing against someone else. Do you know what I mean? So I reckon if I didn't play sports, then it might be a little bit more competitive for me. But... Right now, it's uh, 
it's not really the, the same. What's the reaction been like from your peers? Because it's one of those things. Some people are going to think, that's cool. We've seen Ovi do it. We're seeing you do it. I'd like a bit of that. Someone naturally, are going to naturally go, what on earth are you doing? What, how, how's the response been like? Um, I get quite a lot of people messaging me like for, for like modeling advice and stuff, which <laughs> like before, before I started modeling, I wasn't sure how it was going to go down. But I mean, I've always been one of those guys that if I've got an idea or there's something that I want to do, I just really do it. I don't really care what other people think. So like I was playing basketball games with a nose piercing in, but quite a lot of basketball players don't have that. So from when I was doing that, I was like, it is what it is. If people rock with it, then cool. If they don't, I don't really care either. But um, yeah, I've had a pretty good response, like a lot better than I thought it would be. And it, it's a bit of a tough one because so many people have only seen me as a basketball player when I know I'm so much more. But it's quite nice to be embraced and still embraced as a high-level basketball player at the same time. You've always been, I mean, you mentioned about designing things, but you've always been a creative guy. And we've seen, you know, some of the clothes and footwear that you've designed online. What, where did the inspiration to that come from originally? Because you know, it's it's something some people fall into. It's some people, some people study for. You know, where, where was the genesis of that for you? Um, I've always loved art, so... Like I've got, I'm painting some shoes right now that I got sent to the USA, which is crazy. But um, yeah, I've always loved art. So before I started playing basketball when I was like 12, I was really into art and I was in the gifted and talented program for art. So I would paint, I would draw, I would do all of that stuff. But then, and I'd play music. So I've always been creative in loads of different mediums. And as I found basketball and I got older, it, so at one point you have to make a choice and I just felt like basketball seemed cooler it had more pros to it I knew you could get paid as an athlete I didn't know how much but I was like so I can do that as a job alright cool so um, I just thought why not go for it but in my art side I've always had that well I put that on the back burner and then this season um, well last season when I was at Worcester for like half the season I really wanted to like do something outside of basketball which I didn't have to leave the house I could just be in my own space I could just feel free but not have to go outside and just just feel creative so for like four or five months I was researching different shoes art art mediums and stuff and I just I just got with it and it's to be honest I didn't ever plan to sell anything I just wanted to make stuff that only I've got that I think is cool and the only way to do that is to make it yourself. So that was literally how I started. But people seeing your work are now commissioning you to do things. Yeah, which is quite crazy. Like, it's, I don't even know why, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Talk yourself up. But, um, <laughs> I definitely appreciate it. Um, it's a nice feeling for sure, because... I don't ever really plan out any of my art pieces. It's kind of, I listen to music and I just have a feeling and I create something. So for someone to want to buy that shows that they're buying into me. Do you know what I mean? And that just, it definitely feels good. Um, and being on like the BBC and one of my teammates asking me to do a custom pair of shoes for him to wear in the 
BBL final when we won, like stuff like that means a lot to me deep down because it's bigger than basketball and I like being more than a basketball player. I always say I'm Kofi Joseph that plays basketball, not really Kofi Joseph the basketball player. So that that's definitely a blessing. Where does that branch out to? Because a lot of this has been you know, basketball related in terms of you know apparel, etc. But is there a is there a kind of next step of this that is different kind of media and different kind of subjects out there? Uh, yeah, like to be honest, I've only done one pair of basketball shoes, like one like, and that was for my teammate. Everything else is more urban and street type fashion, which is what I'm about. Do you know what I mean? I I like to make stuff that. I would wear because I'll do it to a certain level and quality. So everything that I've made at the end, once I've made it, I want to keep it and it hurts me to send it to <laughs> whoever's bought it. Do you know what I mean? But um, yeah, and it's nice because I feel that like every single time. So I know it's at a level and a quality that I appreciate. So they're definitely going to appreciate it. But um, yeah, I'm learning how to cut and sew. Um, I've got a lot of fashion stuff that I just want to make. I'm really into high fashion and like runway. So if I had the money and the time, I'd really have a sewing machine and just chopping up fabrics and all sorts. So there's a lot coming, but I have to kind of pace myself because I want to do every single thing that comes to my head in a week because I'm impulsive like that. So it's trying to manage it and actually put the time and research into doing it the right way so I don't disappoint myself. Do you take inspiration, in a sense, from the NBA? Because it's such a it's such an aligned concept, being a, a top-level basketballer and the fashion world. You've seen Russell Westbrook being the most you know, famous example, but you know, all those players, LeBron, Harden, whatever. Fashion is such an intrinsic part of, of basketball. Do you, do you kind of buy into that, that those sort of twin atmospheres? Yeah, definitely. To be honest, the real the real icon in fashion, especially in the NBA, is Allen Iverson, because he was my favorite basketball player. And when I started playing, at the time, everybody was wearing suits and stuff. And he was going to games in do rags. He had cane rolls. He was wearing big tees. He was wearing oversized uh, tracksuit buttons, Air Forces, Jordans, all that stuff. And at the time. Me as a, as a youngster, I had came rolls as well, so I automatically identified with him in like the terms of way of dress, of personality. So I looked at him and I was like, he's cool. And at the time, I already dressed a little different to my friends. Like my favorite color has always been pink. But when you're a young black boy growing up in the inner city of Birmingham, <laughs> pink's a girl color. Do you know what I mean? But I didn't care. I like pink. I like pastel colors. I think they're sick. So I automatically knew I was a little bit different. And seeing him own it and rock it and not care really gave me the inspiration to do that as well. And he's the reason why the NBA put in a dress code of you have mm. to wear suits and blah, blah, blah. But he was like, you know what? I need to know how much they're going to find me so that I can wear my own clothes. And then he just paid that and still wore his own clothes. So that defiancy, I really resonate with. So now seeing a lot of NBA players dressing how they dress, he's really like the icon to do that. So if I can somewhat be of an inspiration like he is to other people, then I'm all for it. But he's really one of the biggest inspirations for me. And the NBA, obviously. Is that a sense important that, that to you that 
not having to conform in a sense. <laughs> For people that know me, they already know the answer to that. Um, I I do try and conform. Like, I try, I do try, but at my core, if I don't, if I don't uh, relate to the reason, then I've got no problem not conforming and being the lone wolf or the, the odd one out. Like, I'm very comfortable doing that. Do you know what I mean? But um, I think it's because I don't identify as a basketball player anymore. So the people that I surround myself with and look up to, like guys like Kanye West and Elon Musk and stuff like that, they're all technically weirdos anyway, but the right people follow them. Do you know what I mean? So I'm kind of on on that wave. But now that I'm a little bit older, I do know, especially playing a team sport, sometimes you have to conform. When I was younger, it was a lot harder, like running into a wall with your head, like constantly. But yeah, I've I've grown to accept and understand there's a time and a place for the how, most part. How tough is that balancing act? Though, you you say you know. You're supposed to put you know, the, the the team before I. Is does has there been times when you find that's caused conflict because you're going against that natural instinct when perhaps a coach wants to subvert it? Uh, definitely, definitely. It's it's tough in a team sport and especially in a sport where the culture has ideas of what you're supposed to be as a basketball player. They kind of want you to be an individual, but they don't at the same time because understandably 12 individuals can make it hard for everything to function properly. But um, yeah, it has it has been hard in some senses, especially because I have so much going on in my mind and off the court that I want to do. And basketball as a career, it's sports is a, is a weird job. It's, it's not clocking for 40 hours a week and when you're at work you're at work when you're off work you're off work weekends are yours it's not like that it might be we have practice here then we have another practice there but in between that you gotta go see the kids or if you're not seeing the kids you're exhausted from three a day so you've got a stretch roll you're traveling here you're traveling there and it's like nine, ten months at a time. And even in the summers, it's quite demanding. If you're serious about your craft, you're either playing national teams or you're working out a lot. It really does take over your life. So fighting that battle, for me personally, has been has been tough because I'm kind of like a renegade. So I, I want to do it all. But yeah, trying to conform at the same time. And, and really fit in and I know I've made a choice to be a basketball player but I feel like I haven't really made the choice to be the creative so it's like an internal battle Do you find, I mean you, you've been a player who's very open about mental health and certainly male mental health as well mm-hmm. do, do you, I mean from a very personal point of view does does that create challenges in terms of you know, there there is that very peculiar demand that you talk about that you have to you're expected to or they want you to approach this craft in any certain way were there times where that actually became internally tough to cope with um originally the mental health stuff started from like where i'm from because i've got a lot of friends that are 
involved in stuff that you would think that they've been to the war in Afghanistan. Like some of the stuff that I've experienced and seen, like a like it shouldn't be normal. Do you know what I mean? Like seeing people get stabbed and shot and all that stuff and then going about your regular business and not being affected, that's not normal in the Western world where it shouldn't be. Do you know what I mean? And that can cause PTSD and stuff like that. So seeing stuff like that and then moving to like Henley on Thames and places in like Colorado and stuff where that stuff doesn't happen, everyone else is shocked at some of the stories I tell them. And I'm understanding that that's not normal. So then I had to unpack and really think, hmm, is that normal? Like how, like, how do I actually feel about that? Do you know what I mean? Because you're so numb to stuff like that. And then in terms of like the sporting side, this profession so demanding. It's absolutely insane. Like regular people that have a normal job say, oh, you get to play a sport for a living. You're so lucky. I'm like, you have no idea. You have absolutely no idea because you could get fired after one job. You could get fired for practicing badly. You could get a pay cut for no reason. Or um, you're in a profession that has no HMRC. It's just down to whoever's in charge having a feeling. Um, you could have a freak accident and get injured and your whole job's just done. Like stuff like that, which is out of your control, regular people don't understand. So because we're not the majority, always having to explain or being tired of trying to force them to understand when they're really not open to it causes its own mental challenges in itself. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then the playing side on the court, that's stressful because the higher you get, the better the players are and the more demanding and the more everything is important. Like every single play is important. Um, not to say that I can't handle it because I've handled it and I've done pretty well with it, but it definitely takes a toll on you. And I think because I've, I don't just define as a basketball player, I've also got the stress on myself of creating and wanting to do more and always aspiring for more on bas in basketball and outside of basketball. So, yeah, the mental health aspects are very, very big. I mean, talk to me about growing up. I mean, you're a, you're a Birmingham guy. You know, it's a tough some tough things that you saw what tell me about that environment do you mean describe that environment that you had to grow up and you know, learn from educate yourself in what was it like um it was a good upbringing don't get me wrong but when you're coming from a single parent family raised by a, a woman in the inner city birmingham as a black child it has its own its own challenges do you know what i mean like no one's teaching you how to be a man it's basically you and your friends trying to figure it out because the only men you're really experiencing are either your uncles who probably aren't around that much, your dad's not around, or you've got white teachers because there's no young black male teachers. Do you know what I mean? They're super rare. It's usually black women. So as men, young boys, you're, you're trying to figure out how to be a man. So your, your next biggest influence are your older friends who... I've gone through the exact same thing. So they don't really have that much guidance either. So trying to not be influenced by them is super hard. Um, so that was something that I definitely struggled with. And I mean, it's hard for single parent families. Like if you're a single parent mother and you go to work nine till five every day and you've got a kid that finishes school at three o'clock, 
has got two hours every <laughs> single day to do what he likes. Do you know what I mean? And if you're surrounded by the wrong type of people, that's a lot of time you can get up to mischief. Do you know what I mean? And the older you get, the more that time just piles up. So it, it's hard to break the routine. Um, I was quite lucky though. I had a mentor, Mr. Thompson. He got me into basketball, but it was it was it was weird because I'm, I'm quite smart academically. I was gifted and talented for most things, but I was quite mischievous as well. So I talked to people, I distract them. I wasn't necessarily a bad child. I'm definitely cheeky, but <laughs> um, most kids are. Do you know what I mean? And it's just how you how you work with them and mould them. And I was quite lucky in that aspect, but from some of the stuff that I saw growing up, and it, it's, it's weird because a lot of people talk about the gangs in the inner city, but when you're, you're friends with them, you go to school with them, you go to their house, you eat at their house, you play computer, you do sleepovers, so you're actually not a gang. It just turns out your group of friends that you go to school with and hang around with, it's just a bunch of you, and then there's just another group of friends doing the exact same thing from another side of the city and you're getting conditioned not to like them because of stuff you don't understand but your older friends are telling you and you're just like, well, I mean, that's my friend's older brother, so, you know, I'm just going to support them because I don't know them guys on the other side. And then it, once one of your friends gets stabbed or beaten up, it's just retaliation back and forth, back and forth. So um, it's quite it's quite hard, but... I lived on one side of Birmingham and had basketball practice on the other side of Birmingham. So I remember getting chased to practice, um, getting chased from practice, uh, guys being at practice, watching from the top, waiting for us to finish, having to get like police escorts and all sorts of all sorts of dumb stuff. But I mean, when you've got a dream and you love it, you find a way to to figure it out. Um but yeah, all that stuff kind of molded me really and made me realize how much I wanted what I wanted. I mean, it's it's one of those almost American cliches, isn't it? In a sense that you you hear so many of these stories coming out of America, you know, where eventually it's the gospel got me out of the ghetto cliche that you know. There's so many tales about it, but we don't really hear it too much about it in in the UK in a sense. But you know, how you, I mean, describe the the magnitude of the of the the impact that finding that basketball community had on you growing up? Uh, it was amazing, you know, because once I started playing, my my improvement was so rapid. But all I did was play basketball. Like I used to play music, so I played drums for my mom's church. Um, I was doing martial arts at the time. Uh, and I was quite high up in that. I was swimming for my region at the time. But once I found, and I, everything I do, I do for like two years and then I quit because I'm really locked in and then I'm like, I can't be bothered anymore. I feel like I'm good enough. And then I quit, but with basketball, it changed. Like I've been playing it now for like 18 years. It's crazy to say, I feel old. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I improved quite a lot. All I ever did was, if I was outside of school, I had a basketball. I was inside of school, I'm dribbling the basketball. Every minute my basketball was being confiscated because um, you're hearing it in the hallway. I had a teacher, Mr. Amos, he was really cool and he knew Stephen Hansel as well. So he would guide me. Um, and I've always played up with the older kids. I was quite small at the time, I was quite skinny, but I never backed down from anyone. 
and I was always going at people. So City of Birmingham really gave me an opportunity to play my age group and with the older age group, which was quite good for me. And obviously, because I was quite passionate about the game, it was it was good for me to be knocked on my ass quite a lot, but I never quit fighting. So that kind of prepared me to move on. But the basketball community in Birmingham definitely embraced me. It's been all over the place, basketball in Birmingham for years. But when I was growing up, uh, even having like Winston, who's one of the coordinators at Neutral Sports Centre, when the basketball court would be free, he'd let me know. And me and my friends would go down there and we'd just play. So them small things are really like some of the keys that helped me improve to the level I was when I was a junior. Was that valuable when you, because we all have decisions to make and, you know, as teenagers, we all make stupid decisions, great decisions, you know, because you don't, you just don't know, you're becoming a person in your own right. But was there times when you could have done something stupid, for want of another word, but actually basketball was the thing that made you think, hold on a minute, I've got a purpose here, I've got a goal this is what I want to do. That's not what I want to do. And that's the rock you're able to kind of lean on at that point in time. Oh, that happens so many times. It's insane because I actually quite liked hanging out with my friends and stuff, especially when basketball was new. But it got to the point where we weren't just hanging around on the street anymore. So I couldn't bring my basketball. So then I'm really feeling an internal battle because all I want to do really is play basketball. Yeah, I want to hang around with my friends, but I'd rather play ball, really. And because all my friends would do is chill, we'd just go chill near a basketball court. So I'm playing basketball, but they're just doing their thing. But the older we got, the less basketball opportunities they were. Do you know what I mean? And I couldn't really bring a ball. And yeah, it might have been dodgy situations, but it got to the point where I'd have to make a choice and a few times I didn't make the choice and I just went with them and got into situations which were exciting, scary at the time, but now I look back were quite stupid. But it got to the point where I was seeing improvement and the feeling of killing people on the basketball court felt better than the excitement of being out on the streets or doing whatever with my friends, do you know what I mean? So that just slowly kept building up and I feel like if I never kept working out on basketball and having that enjoyment of being good, knowing I'm good and feeling good, then I probably would have made the wrong choice a lot more often, to be honest. You've used the phrase turning wounds into wisdom. And now that Uh you're not that far off 30, if memory serves, and you've got this experience (laughs) behind you, I mean, do you see that a role or a necessity for you and guys with that similar experience to to those single parent kids coming through now to share that wisdom? Yeah, definitely. 100% because like in, in a city, there's so much going on and as two parents, you don't have a clue because you've got work and you don't understand your child and what they're going through on a day-to-day. So as one parent, let alone you could have a son and you're a dad, you still ain't really got a clue. You kind of do, but you don't. But if you're a single-parent mother with a young boy, you really don't understand. So me being able to speak to them and give them some guidance, some wisdom, getting my mom to 
talk to them. Like so many parents speak to my mum about what I've been through and how well I've done and stuff like that. And they go to her because remember, like I'm my mum's only child. So she didn't really have a clue either. She didn't know like what she was doing in sports, helping me, let alone as raising a young man. So they can go to her and get advice. And I'm really, I'm really happy about that. But when they come to me, I'm more than helpful um, because I know I've been through it sometimes the harder way. And if I can help them go through it and make better decisions, then I'm all for it. So, yeah, I'm definitely here to to help uh, inner city families, especially on their sporting journey and just as the personal journey, to be honest. What more do you think we can do? And I suppose you say we call ourselves a basketball community, but there are so many different parts of it and different branches, etc. But... When you look at the impact that basketball had and the programs that are in, you know, within Birmingham and you know, in other big cities, I mean, d- d- what's the support? I know this is asking a big picture question, but what more should we, as a country with government or or any of us, what more should we be doing to to give that the help it needs to have the same kind of impact it had on you? Um, for one, if if kids are out on the street and they want to go inside and play sports and get off the streets, help them. Like, if 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds are calling up a sports centre saying, hey, is the basketball court free? And they say yes. Let them in because the lights are already on and the baskets are already down. All they need to do is just let them in and like, yeah, supervise them, but you're probably not doing anything sitting at your desk anyway. But you're going to be upset when these same kids probably break into your car or are out on the street fighting or doing all sorts of nonsense. But they're actually asking for help and an opportunity. So let them, none of this, oh yeah, we've got badminton in. But badminton isn't coming in for two hours. So the court's just free. Let them in. Telling them to pay £45 for an hour to three 15-year-olds who probably got £16 between them isn't very helpful, do you know what I mean? All you care about is the money, so there needs to be a way to help them and help the kids that actually want to try and do stuff, do you know what I mean? Because when you're stuck on the street, you've got idle time and idle hands, it's real easy. Like one of my family members used to say, when you're outside doing nothing, you'll get into trouble which is real easy because you just get dragged into stuff. You could be chilling with your friends just outside the shop, having a blast, and another group of guys don't like you and just look at you the wrong way, and now there's a fight and someone gets stabbed. Like, help the kids that really want to help themselves. Do you know what I mean? Because so many of them want to do stuff, and when it's basketball, this country doesn't really help that. One, because the weather's terrible all over the place. Two, um... They're not very helpful in like facilitating indoor basketball. Like no one wants to play outside. Not really, not unless it's summer. And then you're wondering why kids have got shin splints and all that because they're playing on concrete. We've got loads of basketball court inside. Help them. Do you know what I mean? Especially the ones that want to be helped. I'd say that's the start. It's going to be fun for the next month and most of the country can't play anything indoors, but um, there you go. Oh, that's, no. what I've, that's what I'm putting on a few kilos and that's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. Um, 
Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the career because I mean you've had a, you've had yeah an odyssey. We mentioned Worcester and we mentioned Glasgow at the at the top of the show, but obviously you've had opportunities overseas of different varieties in you know, Iceland and Sweden and Switzerland. I mean, how how much do you or have you liked that opportunity to use basketball as a way to see the world and you know, pick up other cultural influences and insights? I love it, you know. I love it. I always said I wanted to travel the world. Like, I'm that spontaneous person that would just grab my passport and just be like, you know what? That place looks cool. I'm going to go. That place looks cool. I'm going to go. Like, I'm the type of person of, I'll go and stay in hostels. Like, I'm with it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I want to experience the culture. I want to see different things. And I've learned that because of basketball and it's put me in so many different places because of my love for the game where I've had to crack on with it anyway. So I quite, I quite love it. And I'm quite thankful that it's, it's given me the chance to do that. And I always said, um, cause I used to go to America a lot and, but my experiences in America were a little different because I was going for basketball. I'd go for like a month, five or six weeks. So I'm not really there on holiday. Do you know what I mean? I'm hanging around people that play basketball all day or I'm with family members who still have to go to work. I'm not really on the resorts, doing up all the touristy stuff like that. So I've always said going to a country and living there is a lot different to going on holiday. So when I lived in like Switzerland, Iceland, Sweden, Germany, um, even when I lived in Spain, like so many people, like regular people, like, oh, you got to live in that country. How was it in their head? When they went to that country, they were living in Madrid. They were eating at restaurants every day. They were on the beach every day. I'm like, no, I'm there for work. So I actually get to see a proper um, view of the country and how it is to actually live there. And it's a lot different. And I quite, I value it, do you know what I mean? Because that's a lot of experiences that a lot of people don't get. Where's been the best place? I was in the best place, man. That's a tough question. You know what? Switzerland, that country is absolutely beautiful. So the videos you see on Instagram that make it look like, I don't even know, like Neverland. That place <laughs> is crazy. But when you get there and you're driving, like it's actually like that. The place is so expensive. It's insane. Can't live there unless you're making mad bread. But it's so beautiful and after living in Colorado in the States, I really like living close to nature. It helps me just relax. Um, it stops all the hustle and bustle. Um, it clears my mind because my mind's always on, on go. Um, yeah, Switzerland reminded me of like just peace. Do you know what I mean? So that was, it'd probably be the best place, I'd say. Or Germany, because I love Berlin, which is really cool. Dare we ask, worst place? Oh, that's tough. You know what? Worst place. I'm going to have to say Spain only because <laughs> Spain, Spain when you're in the big cities, fine, not a problem. When you're in these small towns and villages, no one speaks English. I'm talking at all. Like the team I was on, my, I had a translator, but my translator was still learning English. So it was <laughs> really mad. It was fun, but it was it was mad. So I'd probably say Spain. And obviously, when you don't know about siestas and you want to go to the shop at like two o'clock, two thirty, and everywhere's shut and everyone's gone to sleep, 
when you're not prepared for something like that, it's definitely a bit tough. So I'd probably say Spain just because it wasn't really my vibe. But it's a great country, I'd say. So. It is. And it's the tip, you're just coming across the tip of bread, but no one speaks English. How do you feel it when people come to our country anyway? <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the, I mean, the career from now on, because obviously, yeah, we've, we've, we have actually miraculously started the BBL season and seasons elsewhere. You are not playing, obviously. Mm-hmm. What what's the script for this season? Do you do you pursue modelling and creative stuff alone? Is there a is there a comeback in the works? Where where do you see the next twelve months panning out? I'm not sure. I'm open to whatever though, really. I just know that I'm not really putting um my off court stuff on the back burner as much as I have in the past. So if I can find the right situation either in the UK or overseas, because obviously I model quite a lot in Europe as well, then um, I'm open to it. But with the way the world's gone right now and everything, I'm just open to being happy, which is whatever that is. But I've been playing basketball, so I know that I don't not want to play. I've been playing, I've been working out, I've been feeling pretty good. I feel better than I've ever felt physically. So... um, yeah, I'm open to the right situation. If that happens to be in the BBL, then great, because I love playing in the league against a lot of great players and friends. But if not, I'm open to going back to Europe, which originally was going to be the plan after last season. So I'm quite happy with how the turn of events has played out. How much would you love to play for a renewed Birmingham team? That would be cool, you know. That would be cool, but the amount of politics we have in that city is absolutely insane. So unless it's done correctly, I don't really want to be a part of that. Do you know what I mean? Like the Birmingham Knights losing every single game. That's not my personality. Like I'm just not, I'm not with that at all. So if we're going to do it, let's do it right. So I'd rather the city just wait and plan properly than rush it just to have a team in the city. Do you know what I mean? Just to say we've got one. So, yeah, I'd love to represent my city. It was cool playing for Worcester because it was close to Birmingham. And then I got to win my first uh, championship as a pro in Birmingham. So, I mean, if that's the best it gets right now, then so be it until we, um, we come up with a plan properly. Is there any... I don't know if concern's the right word, but is there anything that makes you think twice in these COVID times where it is going to be, and I'm paraphrasing another player I spoke to before this, a pain in the ass for everybody this season. Uh, what do you mean? In terms of you've you got to go through really rigorous protocols, be so careful, oh. bubbles, hit the whole shebang. Yeah, it's it's going to be, like, in my head, I can't really see how it's going to work. But um, because let's say the season does happen, like Bristol the other day had the full two-day games because people got sick. So if let's say Bristol did play against a team and then it came out that players had COVID, does that mean both teams have to quarantine and can't play their games? More than likely, because until results come back, you can't really do anything and let's say both teams had people like one player that had um positive tests 
does that mean the whole team has to quarantine? Do they have to forfeit? Is it their fault? It's 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 hard to it's hard to do. So unless there's like a bubble, like a proper bubble, the the games and fixtures are going to be all over the place, and it's really just going to be about which team can stay healthy and get as much wins when they play and build up the forfeit win as well. But then there's going to be an asterisk on the championship, like when the Lakers won. I'd I'd think, but we just got to do the best we can. I'd say. Let me ask you finally about international basketball because I remember back to Eurobasket 2017 and you know, sitting there and you were you were the last man in to the team but you sat there throughout mm-hmm. the whole tournament and even though there were blowouts you didn't play and I I recall mm-hmm. sitting there going what was the point in bringing him you know this, this should be a chance mm-hmm. to, to give guys experience you know if we're, if we're not going to win a game let people learn but I don't think I've ever asked you what was your take on that. Was it a similar vibe? Um, somewhat. It was. It was weird because when I like just before I got invited to camp. So when I got cut, I got back to Birmingham and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I was working out, and I actually um, almost like broke my foot. So a player in a scrimmage stepped on my foot. I don't think anybody actually knows this, but um, yeah, a player stepped on my foot. I think I broke like one or two just small bones in my foot. It hurt, but it wasn't anything crazy. I could still play, but I was just in a lot of pain. So when I got the call up to GB, I was like, do I turn down this opportunity or do I go? I was like, it's a Euro basket. I've been with GB literally the entire summer. Mental breakdowns because like the pace of learning everything when you're new to the system. And remember, I've never ever played senior level in my life or any international even at juniors so learning the style of playing with such good players I was just burning out let alone physically um so I was like nah I've earned this I've definitely earned this and I know I can still play so I'm going so when I got there I was just I knew I probably wasn't going to play as much especially because it depended on how the games was going to go but I thought that some of the blowouts I definitely could have played um, I had some good games, especially in the lead-up, like against Greece's national team with all their EuroLeague players. Um, all I had to do was stay ready. But to be honest, I watch a lot of EuroLeague, so I don't really watch NBA like that. So getting the fact that I get to be around the team, experience how it is, and I'm sitting at dinner and I look over and there's Alexi Shred, who's one of my favourite players ever. I'm sitting in the hotel watching other EuroLeague games and Chris Stapps, Paul Zingas is sitting next to me asking me can he sit with me and watch the game I'm like <laughs> sure bro do you know what I mean experiences like that I'll never ever forget Did it, would I have liked to have played yeah would I, do I think I would have been able to contribute and show what I can do on that level absolutely because I was ready and I was practicing solidly solidly so I mean it's out of my control I just I just handled it the best I could and I took the experience for what it was but what that really helped me was with was um commonwealth because that worked out well for england (laughs) well i mean we could have did a lot better which (laughs) you know we should have and remember at the time i was playing for glasgow so for like two or three months the glasgow rocks practice was the scottish national team practice so I already knew what was going on. So 
so I was really prepared for for that game and obviously I didn't want to lose and then have to come back to Glasgow having played badly and lost I was like if we're going to lose I'm I'm definitely going at these guys heads but um, yeah I mean that was a amazing experience I wasn't nervous and I felt like I showed what I could do and two months before that I was going to quit basketball I think it was that that got to that point yeah, I just wasn't enjoying, um, after Eurobasket, I wasn't enjoying basketball. Being in up in Glasgow, I wasn't enjoying basketball. Um, yeah, I just wasn't, I just wasn't really happy. And I wasn't doing anything off the court either. I was just in the apartment. The weather in Glasgow was crazy. I'd been in Spain all over the place, which was crazy. So just been months of like all over the place. And in this profession, you never know what's going to happen. So I was just kind of over it really i was just over it um and being at being at glasgow i knew that the commonwealth games was coming up and i was like i know i heard they're only taking bbl players so this might be another good opportunity for me to be there plus tony he's the gb coach so it gives me an opportunity to stay in the gb setup because he gets to see me every day um but yeah i still wasn't happy which was a surprise to me. So I was like, yeah, I was going to quit. I ended up going to um, the Commonwealth Games, no, the England team, uh, like trials or like in- invitation camp and ended up getting selected. And that's probably been the best experience of, of my life, to be honest, playing in Australia. I'm trying to forget that Commonwealth game still two years on, but you know, we all have our different <laughs> prisms on these things. L- last thing, um, Obviously, there's so much going on in your life, and long term, where do you, where do we see Kofi Josephs in ten years' time as he's slowly approaching his fortieth birthday? Wow. Um. Hopefully, still looking looking good, looking handsome. Definitely. <laughs> so important. Um, by that time, it is very important in this day and age. Um. Still look good. Um. Really, I'd I'd like to still be modelling. I would. Um, like to still be creating art hopefully I've got my mental health business that I'm still uh, getting off the ground um, and I'd like to hopefully have that established have my mentoring and life coaching business also running and then start my homeless uh, business because that's a passion of mine as well so tell us, hopefully tell us about that, that. Could be the homeless the homeless situation mm-hmm. um, I've met a lot of homeless people like I've lived in so many countries and I've traveled so many. And like when I went to Rome, right outside the train station, there's so many homeless people I'm talking. They're not just sleeping on cardboard boxes. They've like built like little homes out of cardboard. Like they stay there. But then if you take a left and you look straight up the street, you've got the Vatican, which is one of the richest like places on earth. So I'm just like, that's probably like 200 meters away. And seeing the difference of like how they live and just like how nice it is up there. I just, it like a lot of the times when I'm in a foreign country, I just go for a walk late night just to just get a, a feel when it's not so busy. But a lot of homeless people I've spoken to don't, like you wouldn't think the situation they're in is because life happened to them. You'd think uh, they spent it on drugs or blah, blah, blah. But some of the stories I've been told I'm like, that's unfortunate. So <clears throat> a way to really help homeless people, I think, 
especially for them to get a job, if they don't look clean, don't have a CV, don't have a national insurance number, you're not getting a job. If you don't have clean clothes, you're not getting a job. But everyone's just like, nah, they need a job. They need somewhere to live. Like no one's helping them. So if I can come up with a scheme that houses them for like three, four months, gives them interview prep, gives them clean clothes, even if people just donated clothes, because I go around now and if I see homeless people, I just give them clothes. Here's a coat, here's some shoes. I don't wear it anyway, but it's cold on these streets and the concrete's cold, cold as hell. So if I can help, I do that. But yeah, a scheme that helps them for like three, four months, gives them somewhere to live, gets them off drugs, gives them interview prep, helps them get a bank account, a national insurance number. Do you know what I mean? Gets them gets the ball rolling for them and then once they've been at work and even if it's mcdonald's even if they've done that for like three four months and the government's helped them have somewhere to live then they're not my concern anymore but i've done my part to help them and then i bring in the next set of people and then uh yeah go from there but i want it to be government funded or privately funded where they don't pay for it do you know what i mean because it's really to help them so that's really one of my big goals once I've got everything else ticked off. There's no time to play basketball. That's too much on. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, that's we wish you well with all of it, whether it's creative, whether it's uh, charitable, whether it's hoops. Um, thanks for coming on the MVP cast and continued success in everything, including your modelling. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Cheers, Kofi. That is it for this edition of the MVP cast brought to you with our sponsors at Total Environmental Compliance. Check them out on Google or give them a follow on social at T Compliance Limited. You can, of course, get all our previous editions at MVP247.com or subscribe via your preferred podcast provider. Check our recent ones with NetNurse and Andre Karolenko. Very illuminating. Or if you want to get in touch with me, reach out on Twitter at Mark Ripple. Another edition of the MVP cast coming very soon. But with me, Mark Woods, thank you for listening, and it's bye for now.